Too many times we stand aside and let the waters slip away to what we put off till tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Maxwell IV. I'm known around the world as The Blind Blogger. You can find me at, the, at www.theblindblogger.net. That's where you can purchase my books, including my latest one, The Blind Blogger's New York City Adventures, How You Can Make Your Dreams Come True. And today I'm here with another episode of What's Your Excuse? And today we are going to test the bounds of that expression to the limit because me and my guest are first both visually impaired. She's a guide dog user. I'm a white cane user. I'm, I'm a neat, I'm a, I'm, I don't know what I am, but I'm not, I'm not up with it because I'm not a dog user. But we will get into that conversation later. The, the point is, is today we're having some technical issues. Um, her computer was damaged in a, in, while riding one of the buses where she lives. And so she has no mic and no ability to record. So she's calling on the phone. We're going to have a great conversation anyway. I'm going to do my best to share some photos and a video with y'all so you can you can get a little better connection with my new friend and my guest today, who is, I'm not ready for you yet, Patty, who is Patty Fletcher. She's an author from Kingsport, Tennessee, who's written two books so far, uh, Campbell's Rambles, How a Guide Dog Changed Her Life, and Bubba Tales. I'm not even going to try to get the subtitle of that one because I have no clue. Uh, you can find her at campbellsworld.wordpress.com, and Campbell's is C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L-S. So, Patty, welcome, and how are you doing today? I am doing awesome, and let me just um, tell you a little bit about who I am. As Max has said, I am a twice-published twice author, Campbell's Rambles, How a Seeing Eye Dog Retrieved My Life, and Bubba Tales from the Puppy Nursery at the Seeing Eye. I'm also found in two anthologies, and um, I, those links are all available on my media kit, and Max will share all that with you all on his blog, um, or you can find it on the website he gave you. Um, basically, I am a 50-year-old single uh, mother of... One daughter and a beautiful five grandchildren. I have a great son-in-law. Um, I'm a writer. I have a business called Tell It to the World Marketing. And I have dabbled in all sorts of things before and since Campbell came into my life. And I, I just, I decided I needed a, a guide dog after I began working in the sector of nonprofit with 211 Contact Concern. My life became very active, and I just couldn't keep up any other way. So I went in 2011 and got Campbell, and that really did um, set off a chain of events. Right. Why don't you uh, tell the story about the the mall experience that finally decided you it was time for you to get a dog? Because a lot of times that's what people they they miss it or they they try to they try to to argue or rationalize with themselves that they haven't reached that moment. But it sounded like to me in your book that was a that was a key turning point in going from a cane user to a dog user. 
Yes. Um, basically what happened is I went out to the mall in Johnson City, Tennessee, with my friend Phyllis Stevens, who some of your uh, viewers will know. And she and her, what was then her fourth guide dog, Emmy, and I were coming back from Ruby Tuesdays, one of our favorite places to eat. And um, I was cane traveling, and she was working her guide. And I said, how am I going to keep up with you? The mall is really crowded. And she goes, just listen for Emmy's bell on her collar and stay right behind me. We'll do fine. And so we were doing fairly well until all of a sudden um, there was a really crowded spot. Emmy found a spot in that crowd and took it, an opening, and took it, zoomed <laughs> right on through, and left me standing there going, where on the earth did they go? And I had to get help from somebody who had the attitude of, oh, you poor little blind thing. Yes, I'll help you. And I had to really scrunch down the urge to squash that person and just accept their help. And so we got back together finally. Um, we were gone to pick up her packages. She'd left on hold at a store and gone to catch the bus. And so when we got outside to the bus stop, I asked her, you know, what happened? And she goes, I'm really sorry. I didn't even know you weren't behind me until it was just too late. And I went home and thought about it. It really rankled with me. It really annoyed me. And I just went, you know, I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. I'm. There are things that I just cannot do as well as other people. And I'd been a very successful cane traveler for 31 years. And I talk about in my book, a very specific about guide dog is not for everybody. And that I have all the respect in the world for cane travelers. I don't shove it down people's throats. But I just tell you, for me, and this is me me speaking from my experience, the difference between cane travel and guide dog travel is, to me, the difference between a pogo stick and a car. And I've done pogo sticks, by the way. <clears throat> That's have, not pretty I have two, and they actually made a comeback a few years ago thanks to being featured on Sesame Street. So <laughs> I know, yes. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's the, one of the things when you're not real good with technology, and a lot of the a lot of technology, especially televisions, doesn't have uh, talking menus, or it's not you're not. Sometimes the remote gets unprogrammed from your TV. You end up watching stuff you don't really care to. I've watched a lot of PBS programs. Now, I'll admit, when I was real young, I watched them because I liked them. Uh, when I was older, I've, I, I, there are some shows even now I still enjoy watching, Just, just and I'll admit that I enjoy them. But there have been many a days when I watched shows because I just didn't have no way to turn the TV. So I uh, absolutely understand. <laughs> so, so, But, yeah, um, what was it? Baby Bear and um, one, of the other, one of the other kids on Sesame Street were playing with pogo sticks for a while and so they had to come back and i think that was partly responsible for it but yeah um, i think that's awesome yeah it's amazing see that's the thing about my show i don't guarantee to have a to have a set line of questions or to have a, to have anywhere i'm headed to in particular but we will get there um but the question i wanted to ask and it's something that i didn't really realize after talking to peter you know i i had uh peter all show on the show a while back and we 
I just didn't really appreciate this from his explanation of using a dog, just how physical the training is. Because you talk about having to get in shape to go get a dog. Would you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I will. And I think the reason that Peter didn't focus on that is because it really, um, guide dog use was only one of many topics in his book. My book is more geared toward that. So let me give you um, some description of that. First of all, guide dog training is very rigorous. It's very physical. Um, you walk as much as three miles a day sometimes. Now, I want to qualify that and say that they did modify my roots some because I was overweight when I joined that training. I was not, even though I walked quite a bit, I was not in as good physical shape as I should have been or could have been. Um, but we walked a lot and then we walked some more and <laughs> it's not just walking either. You've got to have energy to play with that dog, to take that dog out to the restrooms, relieve several times a day, sick or well, um, all types of weather. I have been out in seven inches of snow. Um, I've been out in tropical storm force winds. I um, just talked to anybody that lives in Florida and, and talk about their experience during a hurricane. Dogs still got to go to the bathroom unless it's just absolutely impossible, unsafe to go out. Um, so there's a lot to the training. Um, we were up by 5 o'clock every morning out to the park, to the relief area by 5.30. Um Breakfast was at 7. My first training trip began at 7.45 because I have hypoglycemia, so my instructor wanted to get me out first thing in the morning. And then normally we would be out at least for, well, at the beginning it was an hour in the morning and then an hour in the afternoon. By the time we were done in the last days of it, sometimes we would be out as much as from 7.45 in the morning until lunch and then back at it again because there's just so much to learn. Right. Now, um, and, I, and it is impressive just how long the day is, even once, once you're home with the dogs. So uh, a couple of questions that come to mind for me as somebody who's never, uh, never I've, had, I've been around people who have guide dogs but never, never had one myself. Um, is one, do you really feel that much uh, more independent without them, or is it just a different type of independence? Actually, yeah, you do feel more independent, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Let me see if I can. It's really, really hard to put into words. Um, when you're walking with the dog, you're holding the leash in your hand and the harness in your hand, all in one hand. And you're not doing anything. You're following that dog. You are, when you walk a dog on a leash, you're in control of that dog most of the time, or you should be. Um, when you are using a guide dog, that dog is in control of you. He's, he or she is 
pulling you. There's a constant pressure on your arm. You are being led by that dog. The closest thing that I can compare it to for you is sighted guide. Um, you are in charge. You've got to follow that dog when he turns left or right. You're signaling, but you've got to be in step with that dog. You've got to be, it's almost the same as dancing. In fact, not long ago, Campbell and I were out learning the neighborhood and I was teaching him to go to the end of our block and come back to the gate because I've just moved. And so he has to learn to find a new house. So we were learning, Campbell, to your house, Campbell, inside, and he missed it. And I realized that he missed it because there's something called muscle memory, and you start to feel when you need to be doing things. And I realized he missed it without stopping. I said, hop up, Campbell, and motioned for him to turn around. And we turned all in one fluid motion. We never slowed down. We never missed a step. And we went back to our gate and inside. And when we finished and I stopped and praised him, a neighbor who had been watching said, my God, that was just like dancing. It was beautiful. I've never seen anything like that. You were together like figure skaters or something. And I said, yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. Doesn't always, it isn't always that beautiful, but in that moment, we were simply connected. We were one, and we were so into what we were doing that there was just no misstep, and it was beautiful. All right. The other thing I'm curious about is, does the dog get in the way of of uh, of of meeting other people, of networking? Do they uh, do they insulate you, or do they sometimes get attention that? that is it helpful to you? Um, I think that is really, it can be a double-edged sword. In many instances, especially when I brought Campbell home and I began to incorporate him in my life at work, one of the things that I did at work was to do information fairs. We would set up a booth. We'd have a table where we'd have information packets to hand out to people describing our organization. And my job in that was to present the organization. I was volunteer coordinator. And so I was to do recruiting and try to get volunteers to join our organization. Well, it could go either way. Most of the time what would happen is people would come up because of the dog and so I would know immediately that they were there and it stopped me from having to have so much assistance at the table because they would come up and say, oh, what a beautiful dog. And then I would immediately launch into my presentation, being out in the store or in the mall or out on the street. Most times I'm, I, I have people speak to me that would normally just continue on their way. So Campbell has opened a lot of doors. On the flip side to that, one day, and it just so happened, these things never happen when you're by yourself. <laughs> I was at an, at an information fair and with two board members of my organization, and someone came up and said, oh, so you're raising money for the dog? 
and I or to train dogs and I went crap it and so I said no we're 211 contact concern and I motioned to we have this huge board sitting on the table trifold all these signs and symbols and logos here and this woman is totally fixated on the dog and so she proceeds to say well tell me about the dog and I'm trying to bring the conversation back around to the why we're there and what we're doing and she wouldn't let it be and so this caused concern for is the dog detracting you know distracting from your work and there was some question about that after because of course these women had never seen me work a booth before and their first experience was that so it can be annoying most of the time it's wonderful the biggest problem I have is people wanting to pet or mess with the dog when they shouldn't now I'm a very hands-on person if it's appropriate and you ask me and I can easily stop what I'm doing or if we are sitting down and the dog is not working, I am a big believer in let the public meet the dog because then I have an opportunity to not only explain about the dog and what he does, but I have an opportunity to hand them a business card that tells them about our books and sell a book or to talk about my business. I have an opening line, right? I have a gimmick right beside me 24-7. Yeah, yeah, it's called a hook. Um Okay. Yeah, it is, and I use yeah. it too. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanted to tell you. I wanted to tell you the people that are watching this ha um, have been seeing. I put up. I put up the picture of of you and Campbell, where he's looking back at you. It's uh, the one titled Campbell looking at his at his mom. So I just wanted to let you know that I put that photo up, and I want y'all to know that I'm uh, talking with uh, Patty Fletcher, author of. Campbell's Rambles and also Bubba's Tales and please don't let me forget to uh, to mention to, to give you a chance to talk about your other book and uh, your website of course is Campbell's Rambles spelled with a P dot wordpress dot no it's Campbell's World Campbell's wordpress dot com oh if you could I just I just did the old I just did the old head jerk where my head re, you know just snapped up I'm like how did you do that Max that's terrible because you're human, and that's cool. com. So since you brought it up as part of your hook, why don't you tell people what services you offer, offer to other authors and maybe how you got started doing that? Okay. I have a business called Tell It to the World Marketing. And how I got started with that was last summer I was recovering from what had been a very serious illness, I was homebound. Um, I was eaten up with extra expenses, and I was looking for something to do to make some extra money that would allow me to stay at home and recuperate. So one day, I'd been all day on the computer helping people promote their work, putting up ads and doing various and sundry things, and a friend of mine said to me, have you ever thought about charging for that service because you're really good at what you do and what you don't know you could learn? Well, I thought about it for a while and I thought, 
well, I'm going to put out an ad and I'm going to see what happens. And I was really nervous about it. And I'm not, I don't have formal college education or anything. So I thought, well, I'll make my prices really low and maybe somebody will give me a chance. Well, somebody bit right off the bat. Um, one of my best clients, um, she hired me immediately to help her because she said, I know so little about what I'm doing with promoting and you seem to have some really good ideas and it began to grow and I now have several clients that I represent. I have one lady who is is an author uh, author slash editor slash publisher who has hired me to represent several of her clients and so I have others as well. So it's really starting to take off. And what I do is I advertise your content on my my platforms for social media are Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and LinkedIn. Those are my four that I'm strong in. Um, I also, my other is WordPress. And I have many different ways that I market. And I'm starting some new features this year. So, you know, if people are out there and you're self-published, I also cater to small business and nonprofit. I don't currently have any small business or nonprofits on board. All of my clients are self-published authors, but I'm happy to help anybody who needs marketing services. Yeah, I want to I want to point something out here cuz we we kind of talked about this before before you agreed to come on the show is that um you offer publicity to people on social media and your blog and a few other ways. Uh, I help people with their, with their promotion on podcasts and radio shows. We do this in different ways and we attract different types of audiences. And because neither one of us is worried about, well, if, if Patty gets a client, that means I can't get that. I can't get a client. We can both be friends. We can cooperate. We can collaborate, and we can be happy for each other. And I thought that was another thing I really wanted to share today was the fact that even though some people would see us as competitors, we aren't because we just don't see it. We don't see a shortage of people to help, do we? Well, no. And the thing is, though, is that I believe that we, as the types of promoters we are, I think that. We can give each other business. I think all of my clients would do well to be interviewed by you. They all have a very unique story. They're not just authors. They have stories that brought them to becoming what they are. You know, um, I have people like Phyllis Campbell, who is a multi-genre author, and she does many other things. And um, author Joe Elizabeth Pinto, who has done much work in many different things and helping her community and is a braille proofreader and a, a blind mother. And she's, I just, I just think that we could network together and really send each other business. You know, if I don't do something and another person does, I automatically refer them to that person. I don't know the first thing about podcasting. So <laughs> if somebody's looking for a place to be interviewed, my first thing is I'm going to say, Hey, here's this person, contact them. This is me networking. And so that's my belief. And um, my first editor, she doesn't always meet the need of somebody. So I have other editors or my my editor that I have now, my editor publisher, Claire Placed of Placed Publishing House. You know, there's a, enough work out there for everybody. Nobody does things or needs the same thing. 
what one person can't do, another person can. There's no, yes, competition is healthy, it's good, and but it's there's no need that you can't compete and still help each other. It's a big world, people. It's a big world. Yeah, and that's. I, and I and I often I often have guests or ask questions because I there there are things that things that I've learned or they've learned that I know the people watching uh, need to hear and this whole idea that there's there's enough there's enough clients out there um, is something a lot of people still if they've heard it they don't they still don't believe it because they think hey if there's um, you know if if I get a if if you know, if, if there's a client available, one of us is going to win and the other one's going to lose, but it doesn't have to be that way. I don't see it that way. Yeah, I guess, but I'm a glasses half full type person. Um, as long as there's something to drink in the bottle, I'm good. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Glass, bottle, whatever. <laughs> okay, I just, put up the, I just put up the photo of King Campbell in all his glory. With his crown and his royal robes, I'm surprised he doesn't have a doggy scepter, but maybe y'all can work on that for the next picture. You know, we're, we may have to add that to the next one. There is going to be another. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, which, which brings me to another thing. It's, it's something I wonder about with authors. Um, everybody, including my editor, <clears throat> which, by the way, I thought it was great that you mentioned your editor, placed, uh, Claire, Claire Plastead Publishing. I always feel better about an author if they tell me who's helped them because I, I get a little nervous when people don't have somebody to thank. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, oh, I've got some thanks to give at the end for definite sure, right. some little credit. Yep. All right. Well, that's good. We'll get to that. Um, but have you noticed this? It seems to me that a first book is a dangerous thing because once you write one book, uh, it's like there are ideas everywhere for that next book, and people are always asking you what your next book is going to be. And I'm just wondering if a first book is just a really dangerous thing. What do you think? Well, I think that if you just put out one book and don't write anything else, I don't think people take you seriously. Now, that's just my opinion. So... When I wrote Campbell's Rambles, a lot of people came to me after that was written and I would start doing presentations and selling the books and doing book signings, et cetera, and people started reading it. And people in my area, and I'm, I got to tell you, in my area, people love Campbell. He's very well known and I'm very well known. And so people started asking me, wonder what Campbell thinks about all this and wonder what he thought about becoming a guide dog. It's not like they get up and say, Oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be a guide dog or when I grow up, I'm going to be a fireman's dog or when I grow up, I'm going to be a guard dog. They don't get that choice. So my inspiration for my second book came from those questions. And so Bubba Tales from the Puppy Nursery at the Seeing Eye is Campbell's version, and it's written in fairy tale fashion, but it can be read by people of all ages, and it's Campbell's story. He goes to the puppy nursery, and he helps to ready a group of puppies who are about to embark on the journey of becoming seeing-eye dogs. He ha tells them his story of what it was like, 
and he helps them prepare. And, of course, we have to have a drama. And so a little puppy hears all this is about to happen to her, and she gets really terrified, and she runs away. And, of course, my hook line is, will Campbell hear the urgent call from the puppy nursery in time to save her so she can fulfill her destiny? Well, you got to read the book to find out. So, you know, um, that's, yeah, and I'm working on a third book, and it's different um, than anything else I've ever written before, and it's inspired by today's happenings. It's called The Blended Lives Chronicles, and it's a science fiction paranormal uh, romance, and it is the premise of blending all persons, beings, races, no matter who or what they are, and making a place so that everybody belongs. So, yeah, I think a first book can be really dangerous because after that, people are on you. When are you going to write the next book? When are you going to publish that? And Bubba Tales has not been out but since November of 2017, and I already have people. When are you going to write another book? When is your book going to be? Well, buy these two so I can make some money, would you? Yeah, you know, I, I got to pay that. for it. It's, it's not free here. Yeah, yeah, I love that. My latest book's been out since December, and people are asking me the same thing. Um, and I, I just came back from being out on the road in June, and in May, June, up to the 1st of July last year, and people were still asking me, Max, when are you taking your next trip? Where are you going? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like the same thing. Let me make some money. Let me get some rest. Let me Let me get to the point where – you know, let me get to that to that summer break point where after two weeks you're so bored you're like, okay, now I'm ready to go back to school. Moment. Let me get to that. Well, there. I gotta I gotta say, I just have to be really honest and say that I love to write more than I like anything else in the world. So if I had a sponsor right now, I have a book, my my third book, The Blended Lives Chronicles. I'm doing it chapter by chapter each week on the blog. And this is not the final draft. This is to get feedback so that this book can be the best that it can be. And I went to a writer's conference in January. And in that conference, what we learned was, um, you know, get feedback in a lot of different places. Well, my readers on the blog, they're my followers. And they're the people that I've got to satisfy. And so I figure what better way than to let them preview and give me feedback. Well, so, works, you know. That, that works really well. I was recently sharing with my editor, uh, Lorraine Regulate, that uh, there's a, there was a TV series on for one year before it was canceled. But it got the first full season, which means it got whoever put it out got paid. It was called the S blank blank T my dad says, and that started as a blog that was then repurposed as a book. And then the book was pitched to, uh, to, to Hollywood or, or wherever they pitched TV series to. And the show starred John Lithgow and Jane Curtin. So we're not talking small money. So I think you're the other person I think of when I, when I hear your idea about your blog is I think of Dave, uh, David Steele, uh, stand up RP who, you know, was putting his poetry out just almost, well, pretty much every day for the first two years. And he built up a huge following, plus he got feedback on his work. So I think you're definitely doing the right thing. And, you know, you might want to put a uh, you-could-be-the-sponsor link 
at the bottom of each one of those posts just to let people know, hey, we are seeking somebody who wants to put their name on the book and have their name and website in the in the ebook where people will be able to click the link. That's one of the things I really like about the e-version. Oh, yeah, and, and I'm definitely for that. Actually, I tried that. Um, this guy, um, Paul White is his name, and he was starting a new business, and he wanted novelettes. Well, I tried putting that book out as a novelette, and it was just all of my proofers, even my editor, publisher, said, this is too rushed. This book is not intended to be a novelette. So I had to scrap that idea, but I never thought about doing what you just said. Right. Now, before I forget, you told me before we started this that you are also working on a fourth book, which I find pretty common. Um, as an author, sometimes you start a project that you think is good and you get stuck, so you start another and Sometimes you just have more than one idea at the same time. I'm not sure how you got there, but you told me you're also working on a book based on your experiences as a, as a visually impaired patient, and I wanted to remind you of that because I want to play your video. So would you talk a little bit about that other book that you're working on? Sure. Actually, what is happening is Campbell's Rambles is being done as a trilogy, and I'm doing a revised version of Campbell's Rambles, How a Seeing Eye Dog Retrieved My Life, and then I'm doing book two, The Raw Truth, which will feature me and my experience with mental illness and how I have become someone who is an overcomer instead of someone who allows their mental illness to run their life. And then the third in that series will be Trials and Triumphs of a Blind Patient. And that book came to be, that idea came to be when last year I suffered from a urinary tract infection that went seriously awry and caused my kidneys to shut down. And for three days I was in uh, what they called partial kidney failure because I could still void some but not enough to be viable. My blood pressure went through the roof as a result of this and I had what they called brain spasms twice during a 48-hour period. This landed me in a nursing therapy facility for 23 days and during that time, I had a wonderful, horrible, beautiful, fantastically frightening experience where I got a lot of good care, but I learned that the medical community are some of the least educated when it comes to dealing with blind persons. Well, rather than complain, as is my way, I sought information, <laughs> and I, um, like, uh, well, I said that wrong. Rather than complain, which is not my way, I sought out information, which is my way, and I began to go onto the websites of where I was at, 
and I had to have something to do or go crazy. So I began to go on these websites and speak with the people in charge. While I was in the hospital before I was moved into the nursing facility, the CEO of the hospital came to my room and talked with me. He was so, um, so inspired by what I wrote to them in their comments and feedback section that he wanted to talk with me about what could they do as a facility to make this better for blind persons. And so I began to talk with them. Now they've had a merger and they've been sidetracked getting that in place. But now that the merger is in place, I am going to be going and helping them train their trainers to train their workers in the best ways to help blind persons and in ways to do things like mark bed controls and TV remotes and call lights and different things within the patient's room to help them make menus more accessible so they don't have to have someone assist them. We're going to touch all aspects. And in doing so, I'm going to write about my experience in the hospital. And there's a short version of that on my blog, and I'll send you that URL if you'd like. Yeah. So now while you were, while you were in uh, therapy, um, you, were, you were telling me that uh, y'all had Campbell and y'all had some sort of special routine for Campbell, and that's... Uh... The video that you have is, we call it doggy therapy. And what happened was every day, I mean, you know, being in the hospital or, or in the nursing facility was quite taxing on me because at first I couldn't do anything. And then as I began to go to therapy, I was getting out more, but there was still no free time for Campbell. He was either in harness helping me with therapy or he was in the room. And even though he was loose, he couldn't run around. You know how small those rooms are. So there was nowhere for him to release energy. And I began to see behavior problems. He would dig all the covers off his bed and throw them in the floor. He would chew up things that he normally would never chew up. And I went, got to figure out a way to relieve this dog's energy. He was being walked and relieved, but he was not getting any exercise. So the physical therapy people who absolutely loved Campbell, hello, Asbury Place. Anyway, the, the, the people in my physical therapy said, well, Campbell's got to have some time out. So when the patients were all done with therapy, we would take him down to the therapy room, which was huge, and we would close the doors and let him run, and they'd throw ball, and he'd run, and he'd play, and get out all that energy, and it was great for everybody. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I was just giving you a chance to speak. Are you there? 
Yeah, I'm here. I'm just trying to manage okay. the technology. Uh, oh, that's fine. Well, I'll keep talking then. Um, dead air is horrible. So anyway, um, I'm always afraid of talking too much in an interview, and yours are great because you give a lot of room for people to, to do that. Um, one of the things that happened to me while having this medical experience was I nearly died twice in 48 hours. A brain spasm is when a person's blood vessels in the brain, I didn't have a brain bleed, but if you imagine a plastic Coke bottle and you suck all the air out of that bottle and then you blow it back up and suck it out and blow it back up, that's what my blood vessels were doing. And so that caused a lot of weakness and horrible short-term memory loss and that I already had issue with and other issues as well. And so when I went into the therapy unit and began to rehab out, I began to make a lot of changes in the way I think about things and the way that I do things and the way that I have an outlook on life. And it changed my entire world and and how I view things. And along my journey in life, I've made a lot of mistakes. I have family members that I'm estranged with, and I have uh, dear friends that I've lost as a result of bad behavior due to my mental illness, but not being in control and my not doing things that I should do to keep that under control. And so now I'm 50 years old. I've been given a new lease on life. And my goal is to not look back and not think about, oh, Lord, I screwed this up and I've screwed that up and I lost this person and whatnot. I want people to see me for the new person that I'm becoming and the growth that I have obtained. And I want people to understand that all of us screw up. We're human. We make mistakes. And the goal is to learn from those mistakes and step forward into a new light. And that's what I've done with my life. And that's what I want. That's now my goal is to share that and to say to other people, you have to be responsible. Take ownership and then move forward. Don't get stuck in that loop. Just move forward. Yeah, I really want to appreciate you for, for sharing that. And, and this is really the wrong spot in the conversation, but I finally got the video ready, so I'm Go going ahead. to play it. Go ahead. We're back in therapy, y'all. Here we go. Yeah. This is, this is Campbell having his playtime. And that's something that I didn't realize until I talked to you is that dogs, guide dogs have to have playtime. Just like the rest of us. They're not right if they don't have some form of entertainment or joy. Oh, absolutely. Um, they're just dogs. He's only working when the harness is on. Proud moment coming up here when he obeys me and I'm all the way across the room watch for that. Yeah, so is that like a parenting moment? So is it, uh, yeah, just, yeah, just watch this. Really proud moment for me. Good. Gotta get it before he gets it. See it? Can you see it? No, watch this. Awesome. I was way across the room from him. He minded me. That is really cool. Um, 
And and I appreciate you letting me do the screen share stuff because it's the first time I've ever done it. Uh, and I know that I messed up. I know there's going to be places on the video where they're going to go, Max, people can see your Safari, your browser open, but they can't see nothing playing. I'm sure I'm going to get that. But hey, you know what? It's on the um, it's on my timeline. And um, when we are done here, if I if people will, I will tag you in it and I will reshare the video. So well, people sure, can watch it. Right. I'm sure we've got the video. It's just that there's while you were talking before the video, there's lots of time where they're they're seeing stuff that has nothing to do with our conversation. They're seeing like my like the YouTube window re, that I'm, as I'm waiting. To well, play. hey, if uh, they think they can do it better, we're happy to let them <laughs> join. And by the way, when you when I laughed at you uh, earlier, were sorry. you saying, or no? When I laughed at you earlier, when you were talking about it's. Uh, complaining, which is which is not my want or is my want. The first time you said it, I thought you were being sarcastic. That's why I was laughing at that. I, oh, uh, that's okay. I I, it's okay. I laugh at everything, so it's all good. And I am a very sarcastic person. If you've read very much of me, yeah, um, and I gave you heck about a name mistake and picked on you to the point that you thought I was mad at you. So, yeah, I'm a real sarcastic are we allowed to cuss? I'm a smart ass, okay? It's just the way it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And y'all can y'all can read more of her work over at uh, campbellsworld.wordpress.com. Uh, now, you, we've talked about your writing and your publicity services for other people, and we've talked about the books that you're working on next. Um, and you gave a great answer to a question I didn't even ask before the video about uh, – about taking ownership of your life. What is? What are some other things you can tell people who uh, are trying to, to to finally go after the big goal or big dream? Something they can do to where they can forgive themselves and and actually move forward. Well, I this week I did a three part mini series on be responsible for your mental illness, and you can apply that to anything. Be responsible for and you fill in the blank. But one of the things in my third part I wrote about what do you do when you slip? What do you do when you fall off the wagon, so to speak? What do you do if you drink and you're not supposed to? What do you do if you're like me and you have OCD loop thinking and you take somebody that really wishes you would drop off the planet? Um, because you were such a problem to them when you were stuck in your loop thinking. What do you do when you screw up? And my answers are simple. One, admit you did it. Two, work harder to put your coping skills in place to see that you don't do it again. And three, realize that you got up the next morning. The world you're living on is still spinning. Nobody died from what you did. Nothing horrible happened. So just step forward and go, okay, I'm human. I did this. I messed up. So now I just have to try harder to not do it again. And then you realize, what did I not do this time? Okay. So for me, the other day I slipped. I texted this person who probably I should never do again. But I only did it once rather than 22 times in one hour, which I have done. Um, I didn't go back the next morning and text and go, 
oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, because what would that have been? Sending another text. And I made an appointment with my therapist and said to her, I had an episode last night, a very minor one, but I want to come in and talk about it. And those are the things that you do, and that's called being in control of your illness. It's We're human. We are all going to screw up every day. A diabetic is going to give in to a temptation and eat pie, more than one piece that they just really shouldn't have. A person with high blood pressure is going to put salt on the popcorn one day. Things are going to happen. You just have to realize that's okay and step forward from it. Don't stay in it. It's like if you fall down in a puddle, Chapter 5 of Campbell's Rambles, (laughs) get up, do it over keep doing it till you get better at it you're gonna become a rock star at being good at it and you're never going to be perfect that's just something else you got to understand we weren't put here to be perfect we are not you can't be something you're not just do the best you can and realize that's going to change every day all right it's going to mean going a little long but i think i need to uh would do you, do you feel comfortable uh, sharing some of uh, your, your history with your mental illness and, and how you started? Absolutely, your- yes. Yeah. One of my biggest goals is to, you know, you, you have to let people know you understand because you're there. And, yes, I'm very happy to do that. Um, I am a bipolar who suffers from OCD loop thinking. And what that means is I get something in my mind and I can't, it's like a record that skips and skips and nobody will pick up the needle. And for those of you that are too young for, to remember records, I'm sorry, a CD skip or figure it out, buffering on the internet, whatever. Album, um, album, albums have come back. So from that, so just say albums, that, that way you're covered. Okay, albums, okay. Well, whatever. Anyway, it's a repeti- repetitive thinking. And... I also have issue with occasionally I do what's called disassociative behavior and I have learned to see that coming and take steps to stop that but one of the biggest problems that I have had over the years is becoming unhealthily attached to people who represented safety, security and caring. And I have done some damage to friendships over the years to the point that these people would probably walk across the street of 10 lanes of traffic to keep from passing me. And that sounds hurtful. But people, when you take somebody 22 times in an hour during what was for them the worst hurricane in modern history, it's not okay. When they ask you to stop and you, for whatever reason, can't do that, sooner or later, people just go, I can't do this anymore. I can't be around this person anymore. They're disrupting everything in my life, and they're not healthy. And so they simply walk away. Um, I've done damage to the point with my daughter because I was bad to – I was frightened of just being myself, and so – I would tell people what they wanted to hear and leave out things and not 
always be honest. And when she was growing up, I wasn't in control of my mental illness, and she never knew who she was going to come home to. And so I don't get to see my grandkids anymore because she's not ready to trust me to come back into her life, even though I am extremely stable now and doing wonderful. Trust is earned, and so I have a lot of work to do for all these people that I've done damage. And I don't know how much of that will ever be healed. I spent this year, this past holiday season alone for the first time ever. And um, it was very difficult. It was also very eye-opening and helped me get a better handle on myself. And it wasn't all horrible either. There were a lot of good points to all of that and I wrote about it and you know I got to eat whatever I wanted and drink whatever I wanted and wear whatever I wanted and do whatever I wanted but at the same time I didn't get to see my grandkids and now they're in Wisconsin and that's a long way from me so you know the the goal here for me is to move forward and realize that those things are what they are and I can't stay stuck in that. I can't do anything about my past. My goal now is to live the best I can every day of my life, do as much good work as I can and help other people to come from those bad places and not make the same mistakes that I have made. I want to thank you for, for, for sharing that with me. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that the people who watch this show um, that they'll get they'll find some place in here that speaks to them because we've covered a lot of different areas and um, I hope they appreciate your being willing to share with us and I hope this isn't the last time that you are on a program where you get to tell people where you get to help people because a lot of times it's not what we say it's the it's the way we have handled these difficult situations and Many times it's people watching us go through them from afar. So thanks also for writing about it. Well, I think the important thing there, Max, is you touched a point. It's, it's not what we say. It's not just what we say or how we say it. You know, over the years, many times I have written and said, I'm getting better. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. When I really wasn't, I was faking it. Now I really am doing the steps. There are days when I get up and I have to enact a safe plan where all I can manage in that day is eat, take a bath, and tend my dog. Nothing else am I able to do that day because I know that if I try to step out of my comfort zone in any way, I'm going to fail. Now, the trick to that is to say to yourself, how long do I allow that before I step out and get help? In my second book, and there's a post on my blog called The Truth Really is Raw, Part 1 and 2, and it's written in 2016. Um, I went to the emergency room and spent 16 hours in the ER and getting evaluated and getting into a crisis stabilization unit. Getting mental health services is very difficult in this country, but it is doable, and you have to just say to yourself, I no longer want to be sick. I want to be as well as I can be. There's no cure for what I have. I tell people I'm in remission. It's a lot of hard work. And it's every day. It doesn't stop. Every day I have to get up and make a decision to be well. 
Well, I, when I hear that, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is that pretty much everybody has to do that. The difference is, is that a lot of people don't have as hard a time making the decision as you do. But we all, have to, we all have to make that decision every day. Are we going to be happy or are we going to be miserable? In your yeah, case, and that is true. Happiness. It's a lot more difficult in your case, but we all have to make that decision every day. You know, there are days when I have to count every little thing as a triumph. Oh, yay, I got up and fed the dog. Yay, I took him for a walk. Yay, I took a shower. Yay, I cooked dinner. Yay, I washed the dishes. Those are all triumphs for me. Some days I get to do... I get to say more things, and every day I have some kind of calamity. I just need to get out of bed in the morning. People ask me, well, how do you keep your blog going? I just get up. Uh, you, know what George, I, it, you, know, you know what George Burns once said when they asked him what, what is secret to being uh, so, so vi vibrant for so many years? He said, the most important thing that, that I do every day is get out of bed and put on my shoes. Yes, I've heard that. He's one of my major inspirations. Yep, I get up every morning and and I had a in my job at Contact Concern, we had a program called the Reassurance Program. They still have that, by the way, where we would call um, elderly and disabled shut-ins and check on them every day and have conversation with them because they didn't always get out or see people or get phone calls. And um, one lady, she was in her nineties, and I said, "How do you?" have such a wonderful attitude going through all that you're going through. She was pretty much housebound. And she said to me, because I can still get up in the morning and take care of my necessary, get a bath, put my clothes on, make my breakfast and enjoy the prices right. Because I can get up, because I can, because I can talk to you, because something I might tell you might help you, you know, she was a major inspiration to me. She taught me a lot about laugh through it. Find, and that's where I got a lot of my silliness from. She could make a joke about anything, anything, yeah. and make it funny. And you just have to do that. You just really have to, you have to choose to enjoy everything. It's like Christmas this year. I was totally alone on Christmas. I had nobody. You know what I did? I bought Christmas gifts for my dog, and I got up in the middle of the night and snuck and put them all out like Santa Claus. And the next morning when he got up, he was surrounded in toys, and that was the happiest dog. I had joy because I chose to get up and have joy. And yeah. we sung Christmas carols, and we danced, and we played, <laughs> and we had and we had Christmas dinner, and and it was it was sad, but it was also not. Right. Because I well, chose to, to not. Right. Well, you're doing two things that I that I believe in and that I tell people all the thing all the time. You're celebrating this the smallest accomplishments, no matter how small. And I think when people hear me say that, they're thinking, I mean, uh, completing a blog post or uh, you know something a little bigger than putting on your shoes or making your bed. But you know that it's. It starts with making the list of the things you did today, no matter how small it is. The other thing is, is you decided to be happy. And I like to tell people it's like this. I like to say that finding the positive or finding happiness in your day is just like finding anything else that's lost. You decide that it's there somewhere, and you keep looking for it till you find it. And that's what you did on Christmas. You decided that you were going to be happy. You were going to find a way to enjoy the day. And you and Campbell – 
had a great time. And I can, I can totally see that. Um, and I also remember what, uh, what a good friend of mine used to say. He, he, he said this for years before I realized he stole it from Mark Twain. And that is the more I know about people, the better I like my dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, as you were talking there, I thought about something, you know, um, in the Grinch that stole Christmas, what they learned in Whoville was without presents, without noisemakers, without, I can't speak, um, Dr. Seuss, thank you very much. But without all of that, um, Christmas came anyway. I wasn't going to stop it from coming by lying in the bed and feeling sorry for myself. It was going to come. And so why not celebrate with the one being in my world who is here for me no matter what? And um, I want to touch on something else. When I was in nursing therapy, I learned the joy of the small things. Because when I was admitted onto that unit from the hospital, I was brought in on a stretcher. I was carried in and put into bed. I could not sit up without props on either side of me. I could not freestand without someone beside me. I could not feed my dog without a nurse in the room or a CNA in the room. I had to be assisted with everything. And when I began to get so that I could sit up on the bed without a pillow behind me, put my feet on the floor and stand and walk two feet to the bathroom on my own, those, ladies and gentlemen, are small things, and you'd better never take them for granted because on May the 3rd, 2017, I got up thinking I would go to the doctor and get antibiotics for what I thought was an annoying infection and go on to the store. I had a dozen things to do that day. I did none of them. I went to the hospital, and I nearly died. Life can change in a minute. Don't take anything for granted. Nothing. Well, I hate to cut this off, but at this point, I think that's a good place for us to end. I want to thank you so much is, for yeah. com coming on the show and sharing all your great experiences and wisdom with, with my audience and with me, too, because I, I admit to this. I'm proud of this. I have people on my show because I know that there are things they can teach me or there's, there's things that I want to ask them about. So I appreciate you indulging my uh, selfishness along with helping my audience. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Anytime you quit learning, you're dead. Don't ever stop <laughs> learning. Well, thank you so much. Okay. We had us another great interview today with my new friend, uh, Patty Fletcher. And, uh, you know, I don't think we got to see enough of Campbell. If you recall, when I had Peter on, um, his dog, uh, decided he wanted to be the star of the show. And uh, so just let's just talk about a few things that we learned today um, from from Patty. And, you know, of course, you can follow her blog and find out more at campbellsworld.wordpress.com. And I think she's a perfect example of what this show is all about. If, if Patty can do it, then what is your excuse? She's overcome uh, a mental illness, a physical disability in her blindness. Uh, she has become a writer who's not only written her own books, but been, been featured in anthologies. Uh, just like me, she had an editor who helped her along the way as far as getting her book from a concept and a manuscript to getting it out there in the world. And 
dang it, I forgot to ask her the one question I wanted to ask her. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this before. I've had one of my books recorded on the audio, but none of my books are available through the National Library Services for the Blind. And Peter and Patty, they're not related or married or anything, but they both have had their first books uh, recorded by and included in the NLS catalog. And I, dang it, I was so much looking forward to asking her how she made that happen. So that's maybe a subject for a future interview, because as we talked about in the show, she's got at least two other books in the works. So I will find out about that eventually. I'm sure we'll have her back on the show at some point. But her life and this show today are just perfect examples of what are you going to do? Are you going to find solutions or are you going to make excuses? Are you going to uh, be happy or be miserable? What are, you, what are you going to choose to do today? Are you going to choose to find a new friend? Or are you going to get up thinking that somebody, maybe your neighbor or a police officer or the garbage man is going to wake you up with that loud, noisy truck? What is it that you've decided to do today? And I hope you'll share it with me in the comments after this goes live. Some days it's, it's easier than other days. I've got a lot of experience dealing with setbacks and obstacles and disappointments and even outright failures. So I got a lot of practice in finding the positive and deciding to be happy. But it's not something that, that you do overnight. It takes practice. Even somebody who's done it as much as I have is going to have days when you're like, man, why am I doing this again? So I hope you take uh, Patty's example and my example, and that is, we have a choice, and we have to choose to find solutions, to be positive, to be happy, and to, to, to find what it is we're meant to do here in this world. And I really hope that something in this, in this episode has helped you. I mean, we talked about a lot of things. Patty shared a lot of great experiences. I thought especially the last 15, 20 minutes was very uh, raw, to borrow her term from her book. So I hope you did get something good out of it. And I never want to finish without rem remembering to tell you all just how much I appreciate you. I know you have lots of, of options as to how to spend what little time you have. There are a lot of pressures on you in your daily life. Uh, even just the decision to spend some time on yourself and listen to a podcast can take effort. I appreciate the effort the support, the love, the concern that I feel from y'all on a daily basis. So thank you so much for that. And if anybody wants to buy a copy of my book, you can go to theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. I also have copies of my other two books over there, Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, and It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag. So until next time, thank you, God bless you, and take care out there. You know a dream is like a river, ever-changing as it flows. And a dream is just a vessel that must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle. Just a 